You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys, These Guys Know Sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network on this Tuesday, August the 16th, in the house with your boy Trey Larkins on the Wise Guys Sports Show. Everybody remember, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore OH. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram. These guys know sports. I am so excited for the show tonight. We got my man Garrett Bush joining the Wise Guys Sports Show. He is the host of the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show and also the host on the Locked On Browns podcast. So Garrett's going to join us tonight. He's going to talk everything Deshaun Watson. He's going to give us the fans' reaction to this situation involving Deshaun Watson in Cleveland right now and also give us his expectations for the Cleveland Browns this upcoming NFL season. But we got an action jam-packed show. I'm going to talk about the NFC South tonight. I'm going to preview the NFC South. Who is going to win that division? Will it be the Bucks? Will it be the Falcons, Panthers, or Saints? So I'm going to talk about that as well. And also later on the show, the top 100 players in the NFL, they have started their lit their top 50 and they came out with the with the bottom 50 i'm sorry the bottom 50 and i got some thoughts about it that i'm going to talk about later on on the show as well but we begin in dallas as the dallas cowboys they played a preseason game against the denver broncos and they lost that game 17 to 7 but that wasn't the story of the game the story of the game was the dallas cowboys they had 17 penalties in this preseason game. So the conversation is about the Dallas Cowboys and concerns heading into the season and whether or not this is going to be a bad sign heading into the season with all these penalties. So first and foremost, I want to say the Dallas Cowboys have a problem with these penalties. Last year, they were the most penalized team in the NFL. Last year in the playoff game against the San Francisco 49ers, they had a bunch of bad penalties at bad times in that game. And that's been the biggest issue with the Dallas Cowboys because they don't have discipline. They have been a very undisciplined football team. And this is something that starts with coaching. And Mike McCarthy, although he's won an NFL Super Bowl under Aaron Rodgers, and he also had the advantage of having two legendary quarterbacks back-to-back in Green Bay, in Brett Favre, and Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy, as a head coach, has had times where we have questioned his team and their discipline, and we've also questioned his team and situational football and whether or not they can, you know, make the necessary adjustments in games and also have great clock management. That's been the biggest issue with Mike McCarthy as a head coach. In-game adjustments, clock management, and the penalties. Those are the biggest issues, the three things that I have an issue with when it comes to Mike McCarthy as a head coach. Unlike other people, I don't believe Mike McCarthy is a bad coach. I think Mike McCarthy is an average coach that got carried by the great Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, and that's the reason why he got the Dallas Cowboys job to begin with. And you remember in his last few years in Green Bay, Mike McCarthy and his lack of creativity in that Packers offense, that was what frustrated Aaron Rodgers. And that was why 
he got fired in Green Bay. It wasn't because he couldn't coach. It wasn't because he was a bad coach. It was because he didn't know how to create an offense for Aaron Rodgers to drive in, and his offense became predictable. And Aaron Rodgers, being a great quarterback that he is, he wanted to be in an offense, you know, like a Patrick Mahomes or like, you know, a, a Joe Burrow or like a Tom Brady. He wanted to be in that type of offense. So that was one of the issues that people had with Mike McCarthy when he was in Green Bay. And now you fast forward to him now being the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I think he got a solid quarterback in Dak Prescott. Last year, Dak Prescott had a great season. 37 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, had 4,449 passing yards. He completed 69% of his passes. I don't think Dak Prescott is a top five quarterback, but I think you can make an argument for Dak Prescott being a top 10 quarterback. And I believe you can win a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott at the helm. There are certain quarterbacks that I believe you need when you have a coach like a Mike McCarthy. It has to be an elite quarterback, you know, or at least a top 10 quarterback. And so he has that with Dak Prescott. You got an elite receiver in C.D. Lamb. I love C.D. Lamb as a receiver. I think he got tremendous upside as a receiver, and he was outstanding last year. That was a part of the reason why they let go of Amari Cooper because of C.D. Lamb's upside and his ability to, to be a dynamic receiver in his Cowboys offense. But when you talk about these 17 penalties in the preseason game, it is something that I'm not sure if the Dallas Cowboys are going to be able to overcome this season. Their margin for error is not as wide as it has been in previous years. They lost Lionel Collins, you know, up front on that offensive line. I don't think Ezekiel Elliott is an elite running back anymore. I think Ezekiel Elliott's best days are behind him, and I think Tony Pollard should be the number one running back on this Cowboys team. I know Ezekiel Elliott is the popular running back, but Tony Pollard is the best running back on this Dallas Cowboys team. And again, they got a lot of injuries right now that they're dealing with also. James Washington, he's going to be out six to ten weeks with an injury. You know, they lost Cedric Wilson to the Miami Dolphins in free agency. Amari Cooper is in Cleveland. So I'm not sure if this Dallas Cowboys team can overcome the penalties that they have in games. That's going to be the biggest issue for the Dallas Cowboys. They don't have the, the, the margin for error that they've had in previous years with the team that they had. This team is not as talented as it has been in previous years. So, I mean, it's a bad sign for them to have 17 penalties in their first preseason action. It's a bad sign. And I know everyone's going to say it's only preseason. It's, a lot of starters weren't playing. It's a bad sign when you were the most penalized team the previous year before. So Mike McCarthy, clock management, in-game adjustments, and penalties are three issues that I have with Mike McCarthy as a head coach. These are things that he has to tighten up on, or the Dallas Cowboys could possibly be looking to bring in a Sean Payton in the offseason because they won't have to fire Mike McCarthy. He will fire himself with these undisciplined things that are happening on his football team. So also, I want to talk about my expectations this year for the Dallas Cowboys. And so you look at their schedule this year, the teams that they're going to have to play this season. 
they're going to play the AFC South and the NFC North. So let's look at the NFC North. I think they will lose to the Packers in week 10 and the Vikings in week 11. They'll beat the Bears and the Lions. They play the Bears in week eight and they play the Lions in week seven. They'll, they'll beat both of those teams in the North, but they'll lose to the Packers and the Vikings. They play the AFC South. They will lose to the Indianapolis Colts. They play the Colts week 13. I think that's a loss. I don't think they beat the Indianapolis Colts. They also are going to play the Jags, Texans, and Titans. I expect the Cowboys to beat all three of those teams. All three of those teams, the Cowboys should beat. They'll be favored in all of those games. So I, against the AFC South and the NFC North, the Cowboys are going to go 5-3. and three. Now, in the NFC East, I think the Philadelphia Eagles are better than Dallas Cowboys. I think they should be the favorites in the NFC East, and I think they are going to be a team that the Dallas Cowboys are going to have to compete against in the NFC East. The Giants and the Commanders, they're both awful. And Dak Prescott is better than both Carson Wentz and Daniel Jones. I mean, don't even get me started on Daniel Jones. He, he is terrible. I don't know what the Giants organization see in Daniel Jones. I mean, shouldn't this be – this should be a time where the clock got to be ticking on Daniel Jones in, in New York. It got to be ticking. We got to see if Daniel Jones can play or not. But back to the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys could, could go 0-2 against the Eagles, but they'll go 4-0 against the Giants and the Commanders. As crazy as it sounds, I think they're going to go 4-0 against the Giants and the Commanders. You, you go 5-3 and against the AFC South and the NFC North. You lose both games to the Philadelphia Eagles. So that puts you at five and five. And then I think they beat the Giants and the Commanders in all, in all four of their games. Now, this is the Dallas Cowboys that we're talking about here. And in the words of the great Stephen A. Smith, what can go wrong will go wrong for the Dallas Cowboys. So it's a chance. It's a chance they may split with either the Giants or the, the Commanders. It's a possibility. These are the Dallas Cowboys that we're talking about here. But I got to get a Cowboys a loss against the Giants and the Commanders. I can't even say they're going to be 4-0. I mean, I know I said it, but they're going to lose to one. They're going to lose at least one game against the Giants and Commanders. At least one. So I say they go on the season. They could go 10-7, and seven, maybe 9-8. and eight Because in week two, they play the Bengals. And in week one, they home against the Bucks. So they start off their first two games of the season. They're at home against the Bucks, at home against the Bengals. Those are two games the Cowboys could easily lose. They could easily start the season off 0-2. So I got them finishing 10-7, maybe 9-8. They are going to have to beat the Giants and the Commanders both times they play them. Both times they play the Giants and the Commanders, in order for the Cowboys to be a playoff team, they have to beat both of those teams both times they play them. Because they could easily get swept by the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they're going to lose to the Packers and Vikings and Colts. They'll beat the Texans, Jaguars, and Titans. But even that Titans game is a game they could lose. You never know. That could be a game where Derrick Henry goes crazy against that Cowboys defense. So I got them at 10-7, and 7, maybe 9-8. and 8. But if they don't sweep the Giants and Commanders, they could easily finish 8-9. Seven and ten, you never know. And that would be an underachievement for this Cowboys team. Last year, they lost in the wild card game against the 49ers. 
They were at home in that game. They were the favorites in that game. Even though most people say that game could go either way, they were the three seed and the Niners were the six seed. So if you go, you know, seven and 10, eight and nine, I could see Mike McCarthy being fired at the end of the season. But again, they got to sweep the Giants and the Commanders to, to have a chance at making the playoffs. Now, defensively, I think Micah Parsons is big time. I think Micah Parsons is one of the best defensive players that we have in the NFL. Last year, Micah Parsons had 13 sacks in his rookie season. So Micah Parsons is big time. And I think outside of Dak Prescott, Micah Parsons is the most important player on this Dallas Cowboys team. Micah Parsons has to be dominant for the Cowboys defense to play at a high level. Trayvon Diggs, I love him at DB as well. We saw last year he had a bunch of interceptions. He's a nice cornerback. I'm not going to say he's great like a Jalen Ramsey or Jair Alexander, but I like Trayvon Diggs. He's nice. He's solid. So we're going to see what that what that what this Dallas Cowboys team is made of. We're going to see if that if Ezekiel Elliott can get back to being a dynamic running back in the NFL because it's been a rough ride for Ezekiel Elliott the last few years. Rough ride the last few years. I mean. In 2020, he didn't even reach 1,000 rushing yards on the season. Only had six touchdowns, 244 carries. Last year, he did get 1,002 yards rushing on the season, averaging four yards per carry, 10 touchdowns. But when I watch Ezekiel Elliott, he just doesn't have that burst that he once did in an early part of his career. I mean, I remember at one point, when he was, especially when he was with Old State, when Old State won the national championship, Ezekiel Elliott was – so dynamic in that offense and he was great for that team in the early part of his career he was great with the Dallas Cowboys as well he had that burst and he also was a running back who could catch the ball at the backfield and make guys miss now he just doesn't make guys miss he doesn't make guys miss anymore and if you're a running back I always say as a running back you have to make your first defender miss that is your job as a running back to make the first defender miss you whether it's the open field whether it's in between you know in, in between the tackles you have to make the first defender miss you and he just doesn't do it anymore and tony Pollard has been the best running back for the dallas cowboys last two years but ezekiel elliott is the more popular running back now let's transition to the nba segment of the day and let's talk about the best duos in the nba in the eastern conference so it was a graphic that I saw on Facebook, and they were talking about the best duos in the NBA. They got Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes at eight. They got DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine at seven. Trey Young and DeJounte Murray at six. They got Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo at five. They got Giannis and Chris Middleton at four. They got Joel Embiid and James Harden at three. They got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown at two and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving at one. Now, this is just the Eastern Conference duos, the best duos in the Eastern Conference. Now, before I give you all my list, I got to critique this list. How in the hell is James Harden and Joel Embiid ranked above Giannis and Chris Middleton when Giannis and Chris Middleton both, A, reached an NBA Finals and they won an NBA championship. Now, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they didn't win an NBA championship, but they at least got to the NBA finals. How can you have Embiid and Harden over 
Giannis and Chris Middleton when they didn't even get to an NBA Finals. Jimmy Butler and Bam out of Bayou, they have also reached an NBA Finals. How can you have Embiid and Harden over Giannis and Middleton and Butler and out of Bayou and they haven't even gotten to an NBA Finals? Makes no sense at all. Hell, in Philly, Drew Embiid hasn't even gotten to an Eastern Conference Finals. And they got him over Trey Young. They got him over Trey Young. And Trey Young, a few years ago, got the Atlanta Hawks to an Eastern Conference Finals appearance. Now, I want to give y'all my top eight duos in the Eastern Conference. Here are my top eight duos in the East. Number eight, they got this one right. Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes. Seven, Trey Young and DeAndre, DeAndre Murray. Six, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. Five, James Harden and Joel Embiid. Four, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Three, KD and Kyrie. Two, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And number one is Giannis and Chris Middleton. Now, this is where it got it got complicated for me, writing this list. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo have been to an NBA Finals. Katie and Kyrie hasn't even gotten to a conference finals yet. But Katie and Kyrie are both champions and they are so skilled, I can't leave them off the top three duos in the Eastern Conference. I have to have Katie and Kyrie on my top three best duos in the East. I got to have them on the list. I got to have them on there. And I know Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo have probably accomplished more as a duo getting to an NBA Finals in the bubble against the Lakers, but they're not better than Katie and Kyrie. They're just not. They're, they're not better players than Katie and Kyrie. And I love Jimmy Butler. I thought Jimmy Butler last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, he was outstanding for three out of those seven games. I mean, he was the best player on the floor in the Eastern Conference Finals. He might have been great in four out of the seven, but in a few of those games in the Eastern Conference Finals, it seemed like Jimmy had run out of gas, but he was the best player on the floor, better than Jalen Brown. Better than Jason Tatum. But I can't say that he's better than Kyrie or KD yet. I can't. Now, the one that was also debatable for me was DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. Because you can make an argument that DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine have accomplished more than Harden and Embiid. Now, Harden has been to a conference finals, and so has DeMar DeRozan, if I'm not mistaken. DeMar DeRozan has been to a conference finals. But Embiid and Levine, neither one has been to a conference finals. But Embiid is better than Levine. So that's why I give the, the Harden Embiid the edge over the DeRozan Levine. Because Embiid is better than, than, than Levine. He, and Joe Embiid is a better player than Zach Levine is. Now, the hardest one for me, and this is me being taking all bias out of it. Because everybody knows I'm a Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown fan. I love both of those two young players in Boston. And I think they are one of the more dynamic duos in the NBA. And I think they're both going to win a championship at some point in their careers in Boston if the Celtics don't trade for Kevin Durant. But I can't put them above Giannis and Chris Middleton because Giannis and Chris Middleton, they won an NBA championship and Tatum and Brown got beaten six against Steph and the Warriors this past season. That alone qualifies Giannis and Chris Middleton over Tatum and Brown. And I wanted to put Tatum and Brown at number one. I wanted to, but I can't. I can't. This is all bias aside. I have to be realistic and my order of best duos in the Eastern Conference. Call to the show. 513-203-8655. That's 
five five who are your best duos in the eastern conference we're not talking about the entire nba just the eastern conference right now repeat mine again eight pascal siakam scotty barnes seven trey young and De- john Dave murray six demar DeRozan, zach levine five james harden drew and b four jimmy butler bam out of bayou three katie Kyrie. two jason tatum Jalen Brown and number one, Giannis and Chris Middleton. Those are my top eight duos in the Eastern Conference. Now, in the NBA, I want to talk about who is the best duo who can challenge Steph and Clay. Now, Steph and Clay won an NBA championship this past year. They beat the Boston Celtics in six games. So, Steph, Clay, they beat Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in the finals. But Clay wasn't 100%. This is me banking on Clay coming back and being 100% next year. Who is the best duo to challenge Steph and Clay? I think it's Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And I'm going to say, I'm going to explain why. Kawhi Leonard, when he's healthy, he's a top five player in the NBA. The best five players in the NBA, no particular order to me, are LeBron, KD, Giannis, Steph, and Kawhi. Those are the best five players in the NBA. That's when you factor in accomplishments, when you factor in talent, everything in totality. Those are the best five players in the NBA. So when Kawhi is healthy, he is a top five player in the NBA. And if it wasn't for his injury a few years ago, the Clippers would have beaten the Phoenix Suns and they would have beating the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA Finals. I know now it's it's, it's it's hard to fathom the Clippers beating the Bucks in the NBA Finals, but I would have picked the Clippers to beat the Bucks because I've already seen Kawhi Leonard beat Giannis in a meaningful playoff matchup. Now, Giannis is a better player now than he was when Kawhi beat him when Kawhi was in Toronto. Giannis is a better player now. It would be a matchup that I believe would have went seven. I think that Clippers-Bucks finals would have went seven. I would have loved to see Paul George, Kawhi Leonard versus Giannis and Chris Middleton. I would have loved to see it because Chris Middleton is similar to Paul George in a lot of ways. He's a Robin, not a Batman. He's a Robin. And there are some nights where Chris Middleton can get it going and he is the closer of the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, Paul George is not the closer for the Clippers because that's Kawhi Leonard. But for the Milwaukee Bucks, Chris Middleton is the closer for that team. Giannis is the better, the best player, but Chris Middleton is the closer for the Milwaukee Bucks. His ability to hit mid-range shots and also hit perimeter shots, and also he can finish at the rim as well. He's a dynamic scorer, one of the best scorers in the NBA. He's similar to Kevin Durant. Now, he's not as good as Kevin Durant. But he's similar to Kevin Durant because he's a bona fide scorer. So a few years ago, I I think if Kawhi doesn't get injured, I think the Clippers would have beaten the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference Finals, and they would have been the team representing that Western Conference in the NBA Finals against the Milwaukee Bucks. So I think the best duo to challenge Steph and Clay is Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Now, when it comes to best duos of all time, because I want to have some fun with this topic. I want to have some fun with this topic. So when it comes to best duos of all time, 
I'm going to name some of the best duos of all time, with the exception of the San Antonio Spurs, because that was a trio with Tim Duncan, Mono Ginobili, and Tony Parker. But these are the best duos of all time. Kobe Shaq, MJ Pippen, LeBron, D-Wade, Steph Clay, Magic Kareem. If there's anyone I'm leaving out, call into the show. I know if I know I'm miss leaving out somebody, call into the show tonight. 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. Who am I leaving out when it comes to best duos in the NBA and of all time? Right? So let's rank these duos. Kobe and Shaq, I believe, was the best duo of all time. I believe if Kobe and Shaq would have stayed together and played together in Los Angeles and finished their career with the Lakers, I believe that Kobe and Shaq would have surpassed MJ and Pippen, and they could have won seven championships. Seriously, that's how great Kobe and Shaq was in their prime when they were a dynamic duo in L.A. But they won three championships, MJ, Pippen, they won six championships. LeBron, D-Wade, they won only two championships in four years in Miami. I thought that Miami Heat team underachieved. They should have beaten Dirk Nowinski and the Dallas Mavericks that first year when LeBron and Chris Bosh was in Miami with Dwayne Wade. So they came up short in that NBA Finals. I thought they should have finished 3-1 and one in the NBA Finals. That last year, they wouldn't beat San Antonio. I mean, they, they, San Antonio had already lost to the Heat. The previous year so san antonio they had came back with a vengeance and they, they they really wanted to get back at the miami heat so they weren't beating the spurs that following year in 2014. so lebron d wade went two and two during their tenure in miami as a duo steph clay they got four championships in eight years that's sensational this is the greatest shooting backcourt in nba history four championships in eight years is impressive very impressive. Now, Duncan, Tim, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili, they were all three great in their era. Duncan, a five-time champion, won multiple finals MVP awards. Tony Parker, he won four championships. Ginobili won four championships as well. They're dynamic. They're great. And we all know how great Magic and Kareem was. I mean, Magic and Kareem, in their, in, in their prime, in their era, was one of the best duos in the nba i mean I, I like i'm i'm i watched highlights of magic and kareem with the lakers and they were great that sky hook by kareem was unstoppable the, the most unstoppable move in nba history so yeah they, that that move by kareem it was just unstoppable magic we all know how great of a passer he was in his prime in his heyday uh, he was one of the, the best passers in the nba so honestly, when I'm when I'm ranking these these duos, I'm gonna roll with and remind you the trio is Duncan, Parker, Ginobili. I'm gonna roll with at six. I'm gonna roll with because I think when it comes to talent, Parker and Ginobili just not in the same class as some of these other players. So six, I'm rolling with the trio of Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili. Now I'm not disrespecting Parker and Ginobili, but they're not as talented as these other players when it comes to dynamic dynamic duos of all time. So I got Duncan. Parker, Ginobili at six. Now, here's where it gets tricky because LeBron and D-Wade underachieved. And, and when LeBron went to Miami, Dwayne Wade wasn't the same Dwayne Wade that he was like he was when the Miami Heat won the NBA championship in 06. So, sadly, 
I got to put LeBron and D-Wade at number five. I can't put the. I, I got to put him at five because Dwayne Wade wasn't the same Dwayne Wade that he was before LeBron came to South Beach. And then at number four, Magic, Kareem, Steph, Clay, MJ, Pippen, Kobe, and Shaq. That's what we got left. I'm going to roll with Steph and Clay. I'm going to roll with Steph and Clay. I got Steph and Clay because I, I know they were a great shooting backcourt, but I think Magic and Kareem was so dynamic, and I got them at three, Magic and Kareem. They were so dynamic, and they were just great together. Like, Kareem is one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. Magic, one of the best passers in NBA history. And then at two in a row, MJ and Pippen, because MJ was so dominant in his in his prime, the greatest player of all time, even though I think Kobe could be in that conversation as well. You could definitely make an argument for LeBron. So that's my list. I got at six, Duncan Parker Ginobili. At five, LeBron and D-Wade. Four, Steph and Clay. Three, Magic and Kareem. Two, MJ, Pippen, one, Kobe, and Shaq. I don't think there's a better duo of all time than Kobe and Shaq. 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. Give me your best duos of all time. And who do you believe is the greatest duo in NBA history? Who's the best duo right now in the Eastern Conference? Call them to the show. 513-203-8655. Now, let's transition to the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson as Lamar Jackson is set to enter this NFL season playing on his fifth-year option, and he does not have an agent representing him in contract negotiations. And so Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, they're negotiating a contract, and they're trying to figure out whether or not they're going to give Lamar a contract this upcoming NFL season. So Lamar, he said his week one deadline on contract talks. He's in the final year of his rookie deal. So should Lamar Jackson play in the preseason opener with no extension? And my answer to that is hell no. Lamar Jackson should not play in week one without a contract extension. Because number one, I think it would be smart if Lamar Jackson hires an agent to help him in contract negotiations. It's important to hire an agent because agents have knowledge of these contracts and this is their expertise. They speak with different executives. They speak with owners of teams. And so they understand this business when you're negotiating a contract. I think he has to hire an agent and bring an agent in to negotiate with the Baltimore Ravens on giving him a contract extension because he deserves to be paid at least $230 million minimal. At least $230 million minimal because so far in his career, this is Lamar Jackson, he got a career record of 37 and 12, 84 touchdowns, only 31 interceptions, 9,967 passing yards. But this is what makes him a dynamic playmaker at the quarterback position. He got 3,673 rushing yards on 615 carries for 21 touchdowns in his career. He won MVP in 2019. So Lamar Jackson is the focal point of this Ravens offense, and he's the best player on this Ravens team. He deserves to be paid like a Josh Allen, 
like a Kyler Murray, like a Deshaun Watson. Lamar Jackson deserves his money. So I believe the Ravens should pay him his money, and he deserves his money. But this, these are the two biggest reasons why, if I'm Lamar Jackson, I wouldn't step foot on the field in week one. The main reason why Lamar Jackson should not step on the field is because football is a physical sport. Unlike basketball and baseball, literally one hit could end your career. And we know that Lamar Jackson, being the type of player that he is, he is more susceptible to being injured, whether it's in the open field or in the pocket, you know, just dropping back the pass. And last year he dealt with an ankle injury. That was why he missed the final four games of the season. It would be different if he had a, a hand injury or even like a shoulder injury. No, these are lower body injuries that he's dealt with in the early part of his career. Lamar Jackson has to get his money while he can. We know these NFL general managers and owners, they're looking for things so they don't have to pay you top tier money. Lamar Jackson has to get his money now because if he doesn't, it could be an issue for him in contract negotiations in the future. If he has a, a bad season or he gets injured, the Ravens organization, they'll be looking for reasons to not pay him the money that he deserves. So he got to get his money right now. He got to get his money right now. And I just saw Kyler Murray get paid. Lamar Jackson is better than Kyler Murray. He's better. Lamar Jackson already won a playoff game. He won NFL MVP. He deserves to get his money over a Kyler Murray. I love the fact that Kyler Murray got his money. I love that he got paid. I'm all for players, especially in the NFL, getting their money while they can. You got to get paid while you can. We saw a few years ago, before he signed his big deal with Dallas, Dak Prescott tore up his ankle. Now, Jerry Jones and the Cowboys organization, they still paid Dak Prescott, but they could have tried to not give Dak Prescott the contract that he deserved. They could have tried to make it difficult in contract negotiations with Dak Prescott coming off that tough ankle injury. They could have made it difficult in contract negotiations. So that's my takeaway on the Lamar Jackson situation in Baltimore. I think it's going to be important for him to try to get his money because you got to get your money while you can. And that's very, very important. Now let's transition to the Wiser Lies segment of the day as the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant the superstar he is interested in moving to the philadelphia 76ers adding another aspect to his lengthy trade request saga sources told ian begley high-ranking members of the 76ers organization are pushing for talks with brooklyn in hopes of trading for the former mvp begley ad so was it wise or last to say the sixers to trade for kevin durant i think that's lies especially depending on what you got to give up for kevin durant if you can keep james harden and Joel and b then i think it's wise for the sixers to try to get their hands on kevin durant if you got to give up Joel and b i'm not giving up Joel and b for kevin durant kevin durant's better than Joel and b is but Joel and b is younger and Joel and b has another 10 years playing at a high level Barring any injuries, any significant injuries, you know, I think Joel B still has 10 years left playing at a high level. But Kevin Durant maybe got about a good six or seven years, and that might be pushing it, especially with his injuries. So I think that's lies. If you can keep in B and you got to trade James Harden back to Brooklyn, I'm all for it. 
I'm all for Kevin Durant and Joel B teaming up in Philly. But if I got to give up Joel B, it's a big no-no. Now, some of those other assets that the Sixers have, Maxi, Tobias Harris, I'll trade them for Kevin Durant. Now, let's transition back to some football. New York Jets quarterback Zach Wilson's knee surgery was a success, a source told ESPN's Rich Committee. The 23-year-old has a chance to play in week one, but the Jets won't play him until he's 100% healthy, according to an NFL Network's IN Rappaport. So is it wise or lies to say Wilson shouldn't suit up until he's 100% healthy? I think that's wise. He's young. You want to keep him you know, healthy for future seasons to come. We still got to see whether or not Zach Wilson can be a franchise quarterback in New York. I got my questions about Zach Wilson. I'm not sure if he can be a franchise quarterback. And I think if you hold him out until he's healthy and he comes back and he's 100%, then we'll get an opportunity to see Zach Wilson at his best being healthy with no excuses. No excuses whatsoever. Now, he's a host on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. Also a host of the Locked On Browns podcast, talking everything Cleveland Browns. I want to welcome to the show, Garrett Bush. What's up, Garrett? What's up, my brother? How you doing, man? Pretty good, pretty good, man. How you doing this evening? Hey, man, I can't complain, man. Uh, you know, just glad to be on with you. Come on. Last week, we were supposed to do this. Um, I was a little under the weather. I was ill. Um, so, you know, you was gracious enough to, to offer a, an extension and come back this week. So really excited to talk with you and talk a little Browns, whatever you got going on. So appreciate it. Yeah, let's get right to it, Garrett. So we got to start off in Cleveland with the Deshaun Watson a situation. And, you know, fans are upset with Watson because, you know, this team is a true Super Bowl contender, you know, this season with Deshaun Watson at the helm. But they can't focus on football because they don't know if he will be available this season. So the question here is, are fans upset with Deshaun Watson because of this scandal that he's going through right now? Or are they just happy to know that they got a franchise quarterback you know, who can win them a Super Bowl in the future, even if it's not this year? It's a little bit of both. There's some people, they're kind of up in the air and they don't really like the allegations. They don't like some of the stuff that's come out um, in terms of the way, what he was doing in his actions with some of the allegations with the uh, lawsuits and the civil suits. And those individuals have been loud and vocal about their idea that Deshaun Watson shouldn't be on this team and that Deshaun, that Deshaun Watson actually shouldn't be in the league. There are people who have that opinion, but there is also people that are in the game for strictly football, in the game for strictly rooting for what's best for the Browns. And those individuals, they have embraced Deshaun Watson being here because, to be honest with you, gives you an opportunity to to do something that past quarterbacks haven't, which is win a Super Bowl for the Cleveland Browns. So there's a little bit of mixed emotions on both parts. There's some people in varying degrees of on either side of the fence on this whole topic. But when you look at Deshaun Watson, one thing that can't be disputed, he gives the Cleveland Browns an opportunity to be a team that can compete for a playoff run, compete for a Super Bowl, and compete for titles as long as he's here. Absolutely. I agree with you 100% about that. A couple of weeks ago, Judge Sue Robinson, she gave Watson a six-game suspension. And in her ruling, she said Watson did, in fact, violate the league's personal conduct policy the NFL recommended Watson to be suspended for an entire season at the very least. And so, you know, I came on my show, you know, and I said that the NFL was in a lose-lose situation, Garrett, because on one hand, if you appeal the suspension, you're undercutting Judge Sewell Robinson's ruling and going against the entire process 
of bringing in a third party to hand out discipline for players. But on the other hand, you know, if you don't appeal to suspension and you got women in these women groups and, you know, female activists will say the NFL don't care about women and their rights and you could possibly lose some sponsors. So I think the NFL, they heard the public outcry. So they ended up appealing the suspension. Do you believe they made the right decision? I don't think they made the right decision. Let's be clear. You're not going to be able to appease everyone. You're not going to be able to, you know, make everybody feel like you got the best outcome in a situation, especially when you're dealing with, with the type of allegations that Deshaun Watson has. But I, I would like to say those are allegations. Um, and some of the information that has come out gives you pause a little bit to say, okay, well, some people got a, a kind of a foggy story. Some people yeah. uh, have been inconsistent from the beginning in the depositions, not to mention that, you know, he was never indicted for any crimes or, or anything. The grand juries failed to bring that to a court of law. But at the end of the day, you know, people keep saying, oh, well, that doesn't mean that he does hasn't done anything. It hasn't mean that he's innocent of anything. It just means that they chose not to bring the case forward. We're not going to understand that. What we're talking about is the process. If you are collectively bargaining and agreed upon a process, then if you're going to take what Sue L. Robinson says in terms of if or not he broke the conduct policy, if you're going to take that and use that for your your argument as, as to proof to why you want to do what you want to do, then you also have to take the other part that she says. And she also says, that you have not been consistent in loving your punishments when it comes to players and owners. She yep. also said you're not consistent in terms of giving fair notice of, of the severity of the treatment. And also you have been uh, egregious in the way you go about uh, legislating your cases by trying them in the public of quarter, a yep. quarter public appeal. So at the end of the day, if you got to take one, you got to take the other. And the, the thing that you, the ultimate takeaway was what her suspension recommendation were, were six games. You can't have one without the other. You got to take the either going to take one of the recommendations or one of the aspects, or you're going to take none of it. Yeah, I agree. And Garrett, I, I'll openly admit, and I made a Facebook post about this, that I'm torn on this situation involving Deshaun Watson because, you know, on one hand, I want to believe he's innocent. If it was one of three women, then I would be like, okay, maybe they fabricating this story. They're they're, they're lying. But I mean, it was it got up to 25, which is insane. So it's kind of like, man, it's hard to believe 25 women would lie. But like you said, he wasn't indicted. So I'm like, well, if he wasn't indicted, that means they didn't find enough evidence to indict him on federal charges. And so that's what made it complicated for me because it looks like it's a he said, she said situation, Gary. That's what I feel like. And honestly, that benefits Deshaun Watson because it's a he said, she said situation. But I also feel like, Deshaun Watson has to have better judgment. You can't put yourself in this type of position knowing that you are franchise quarterback. At the time, he was with the Houston Texans, knowing that you are a star quarterback in the NFL and knowing who you are, you can't put yourself in these situations and compromise the integrity of the NFL. So I think that was where he was at, at fault more so than anything else. Whether or not he's guilty, that's, that's something that everybody has a difference of opinion on but i openly admit to you garrett i'm torn about the entire situation and it's kind of a he says she says situation and i agree with that i mean i think a lot of people are torn on the situation and that's why i started to go back and do some research and look at certain things and then things started to come up when you look at some of the testimonies and depositions that some of the women had now to be crystal clear about the situation some people say 24 women 25 women the nfl 
only brought cases of four women. Correct. Um, so when you only bring cases of four individuals, actually it was five. Um, the fifth individual was basically found out to be fraudulent. One of the individuals came forward. Her, she had a family member, which was her son, who said that she massaged Deshaun Watson and she had nothing but positive things to say until she found out there was 25 other people suing him. And so he oh, said- really? So she didn't change her, her whole, she didn't change her outlook until she saw the other women. Yes. And, wow. and, that, and the son came forward and said, nah, my mom did this X, Y, and Z. And she even told me she offered to pay me part of the settlement in order yeah. for me not to come forward. Yep. There's cases where there are individuals where they there were multiple women who not only were like after the incident, quote unquote, took place. They still went to him multiple more times to do massages and reached out to him via mess text messages saying how much they looked forward to it. There was one individual who after he didn't go back to for any massages. She reached out to him and said, Hey, I know we're not working together anymore, but I, I like, I believe you're attractive and I would like to see if we can start a relationship. And wow. it's like, and so my thing is, all right, so you got all of these stories and they're right there in the deposition. So why is nobody talking about them? It's right wow. there in the court. It's right there in the paperwork. Also, you got to look at it from, from a standpoint of, of this. If these people are saying this against them, if you're going to have to take their testimony, you should also have to take the testimony from 18 women who wrote a recommendation or wrote a statement saying that they never had any issues with Deshaun Watson. He was completely professional and they worked with him multiple times. 18 women signed that affidavit saying that. Now, if you're going to say 24 is against him, why wouldn't you then say on the other end, there's 24 women that are in this industry who are putting their reputation putting their business, putting their name behind somebody that says, well, I'll attest for my relationship or business relationship with Deshaun Watson. Here's a written statement. Nobody yeah. ever mentions that. Agreed. And I also thought the timing was also something that was, was suspect to me as well, Garrett, because it was funny how he played all those years in Houston. All of a sudden, he wants out of Houston, and now we hear all of these sexual conduct policy things that he broke and rules that he broke it's just crazy that all of a sudden he wants out and all these you know allegations comes out about him having sexual misconduct i thought that was also something that was suspect and i had my questions about that as well but yeah man again that situation is something that i'll, I'm all I'll, the place with it. I'll throw this out here just just to kind of piggyback that well the houston Texans were named in a lawsuit too the houston Texans have now paid off 30 individuals in this in this case so my question is, like I've been saying from the beginning, when is the Houston Texans trial coming up? Every time you mention it, check and see how many people don't have a response for it. But we talking about Deshaun Watson, though. No, no, no. Right. If me and you were going to a bank, right? If me and you decide to get together and collude to rob a bank, I'm just a getaway driver. If you go in the bank and happen to shoot somebody or happen to go in there and somebody get hurt and they die, not only are you on the hook for manslaughter or murder or armed robbery, even though I had nothing to do with it inside, I was part of the squad. Correct. So I'm going to be charged with attempted murder or whatever you get charged with, I get charged with. Correct. So my thought process is if the NFL has these individuals who are under the collective bargaining agreement, they are listed under the under agreement, they are listed under the conduct policy, and they have also been named and paid 30 people. How can you be going for unprecedented punishments when, when an organization has already said, 
that they've done the same thing as Deshaun Watson and give him NDAs. How's that possible? Agreed. The question needs to be asked, when is the Houston Texans organization going to be held accountable the same way Deshaun Watson is being held accountable? And again, because it looks like once he asked out of Houston, that's when everything came out. And now the organization, we no longer have your back anymore, Deshaun Watson. Whether or not he did it or not, we don't have your back anymore. But if you were there while this was all happening, the Houston, Texas organization was complicit with Deshaun Watson. So I agree with you a thousand percent, Garrett, about that for sure. Now let's let's talk about Roger Goodell. He came out and he said the league is seeking a tougher penalty on Deshaun Watson. And he said the quarterback's actions were egregious and predatory behavior. So for you personally, Garrett, what do you believe ultimately will be the suspension for Deshaun Watson? How many games will he be suspended this year? In the beginning, I always said six games, right? I, I said somewhere between four and six games. And to be honest, that's what the arbitrator gave. Four to six games, six games is what, yeah. what came out to be. The league is league wants more. Roger Goodell's voice is annoying. And there's reason his voice is annoying is because like he has this thing where he, he tries to be a moral stand-up guy and he just into the integrity of the league. And come on, Roger, you, you don't even believe that, man. Y'all been trying to defraud people from CTE money for the last 10 years. Yeah. You've been canceling claims. You ask people crazy questions that are homophobic, sexist, racist undertones when you ask people at the combine. Yeah. You say that your teams and your main owners are caught in prostitution stings. Yeah. And you sitting here telling me about egregious behavior? I mean, Dan Snyder is a habitual line stepper. He's always crossing the line. And you admitted out of your own mouth that his workplace was toxic, bullying, unprofessional, and misogynistic against women, right? So all these things are, are have been admitted. However, you see the difference, right? The difference is Deshaun Watson is one of the dudes, and he's a worker. Yeah. And the idea when it comes to workers is, hey, you shut up. You better be lucky we got you this money. You better be lucky that you are in the National Football League where you are earning this amount of money. And these rules are not for us. They are for you. And the only reason we care about it is the optics because we want people to think that we care. Even though that's not what the case is, we just want to keep raking in this money. Agreed. And then you remember when the situation went down with Ray Rice and his wife he originally only suspended Ray Rice for two games, only two games until, remember, Garrett, the video came out and the video, the public outcry from everyone seeing that video. Now you want to suspend Ray Rice longer than two games like you. You had Ray Rice sitting there in your office. You saw the video, Roger. Now, all of a sudden, now that the public, you know, and women have seen the video. And women see now, you don't give a damn about women's rights. Now you want to up the suspension on Ray Rice. It made no sense. But then you remember, too, with Big Ben, when Big Ben got accused of rape, he had Big Ben, I think he was suspended originally like eight games. It was six, got it to four. Then it went down to four. Like, what evidence did you have, Roger, to go from six to four? What, what changed in that scenario for you to go from six to four? So, again, like... It's all over the place. And this is the reason why Judge Sue L. Robinson only gave Deshaun Watson six games. Even if you believe Deshaun is guilty, the reason why she only gave him six games is because the NFL is all over the place when it comes to these suspensions and discipline for players for various different things that happen. But 
Gary, let's talk some football. And let's just say that Deshaun Watson, you know, gets suspended for six games, even though we know it's we know it's going to be more. But let's just say it's the first six games of the season, and Jacoby Brissett is the starter. Here are the six games at Panthers, home against the Jets, home against the Steelers, at Falcons, home against the Chargers, home against the Patriots. What do you believe the Browns' record will be in these six games, you know, if Deshaun Watson is out? Well, what you're shooting for, you want to at least be, in my opinion, to get to the playoffs, given how tough the AFC is. You you at least want to be four and two, yeah. at worst five and three. If you get to be five and one, clap it up. We'll take yeah. obviously we'll take that. Absolutely. But but you want to be in, in shooting range and close enough that you can get Deshaun Watson to come back. There's obviously going to be some rust. So the first three, it's not like he's going to just jump off a roof, land in the middle of the stadium, and all of a sudden throw for 350 and four touchdowns. That's right. not it. It's going to take him a little bit of time. And you kind of saw how rusty he was in a preseason game. So Absolutely. Um, you still want to be in that range of uh, four and two, five and three. And if you're there, uh, the schedule gets a little bit difficult at the end of the season, but you upgrade a quarterback. And the goal is, and this is what I've always been saying, um, the goal is for Kevin Stefanski to be developing these guys so that Deshaun Watson, uh, when he comes comes back, does not have to be some sort of savior or messiah. He could come back and he could just be a guy that's added to a machine that's running well. And that means I've incorporated more Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt into the running game. I'm more dynamic in my running game where I run in, in the formations. I have a set formula and a set way that I want to get Anthony Schwartz and speed guys to football. My defense is aggressive. After going after the quarterback, we getting turnovers. And the special yeah. teams is button up. If you can get that thing rolling like that, and instead of looking for Deshaun Watson to be come back and save the team, you want to add a, a already great quarterback to a team that's already playing well. And so now your momentum can go up and yep. keep moving. But you don't want him to come back one in five and, and you looking around like, okay, well, we need to win four out of the next six to even be right. – nah, you, you know, that ain't what you're supposed to be thinking about and training and preparing your team for. Great point there, Garrett. Great point. See, I honestly believe – they could realistically go four and two, maybe even five and one with Brissett. Like, I'm looking at the schedule. Like they got the Panthers. They can beat Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold week one. Then they got the Jets. The Jets are the Jets. Then they got the Steelers. The Steelers don't have a quarterback. The Falcons are rebuilding. The Chargers is the one game I think they would lose without Deshaun Watson, Gary, because I think you need Deshaun Watson, you know, to go, you know, throw for throw with Justin Herbert, but they could beat the Patriots in that week six matchup at home. I'm, I'm not a believer in the Patriots. I don't believe in Mac Jones. So I think they could realistically go four and two, maybe even five and one with the one loss coming against the LA chargers. So that you say what I'm right with you. The new England Patriots. Uh, I, I don't even know who they got a receiver, what running backs they got. They got Mac Jones. Them. They got a bunch of no-name guys. I'm not going to be running around scared just because Bill Belichick. I mean, that's where Kevin Stefanski got to come into play. That's where your playbook come into play. That's how you call your plays and have your team prepared. Because yeah. to be truthful, that team and roster is not better than the Browns. And even if you look at the Browns uh, against the Chargers game last year, the Browns was in that game to the very end. That game was an either-way game. Chargers got a good squad, but I'll be telling people, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And if the Cleveland Browns had any of these coaches, we would not be signing up to say we're not making the playoffs or doing what. Think about it. If we had Andy Reid. Is it out of the realm of possibility that you could go four and two, five and one? Agreed. Like last year, I think Deshaun Watson would have won that game when the Browns played the Chargers. 
he would have won that game. I think that yeah. was the biggest difference. Baker just wasn't able to get it done because Baker isn't good enough. But I think, you know, Deshaun Watson is the kind of quarterback that could have won you that game. But I can definitely see the Browns going four and two, five and one in Deshaun Watson's absence. And, you know, even if they don't get into the playoffs as a team that wins their division, they could definitely be a team that could be a wild card team in the AFC. Now, let's transition, Garrett, and let's talk about the offense. They traded for Amari Cooper. They signed Jakeem Grant, you know, in free agency, who previously played for the Bears. They re-signed offensive tackle Chris Hubbard, and they still got one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Still got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, despite Kareem Hunt requesting a trade. So how are you feeling about the Browns' offense? There's a couple ways you can look at it. The Browns have been hit by injuries. Tough. Jakeem Grant out for the year. He was going to be the guy that was going to help the kick return game, special teams game, and the guy that can, can possibly contribute in the slot as a receiver on offense. He's gone for the year. You also have Nick Harris, starting center, hurt the second play of the game in the first preseason game against the Jaguars. Yeah. Guy that was in the uh, facility, gained 20 pounds, was looking like he was really going to take that mold in that center position um, from J.C. Treader, who they let go due to uh, cap considerations. We yeah. thought that he was going to be a guy that came in and stepped in. He is now hurt. You also have the backup, one of the draft picks, who was a rookie, Dean. He just went down and practiced again. He is going for the year for uh, ACL. Isaiah Weston is now gone, a, a guy that was 6'4", 4'4", guy out of Northern Iowa. He was a project, but yeah. at the end of the day, still a guy that could do it. He's gone for the year. We also have, now that we now understand all of, the, all of those things going on, you still need to get guys acclimated, and you got to get guys ready to go. And your receivers are Donovan Peoples-Jones, who's unproven, yeah. Uh, Anthony Schwartz, who had a case of the drops, and Mike Woods and David Bell, who have shown some um, flashes of promise during the camp, have missed large sums of time due to hamstrings and to, I believe, a stress fracture. So yeah. if you're looking at it like this, the receiver core, the defensive tackle room, and now the center position are very problematic. I don't know if they're going to continue to go out and get another receiver, but I've been on board saying you can't go into the season with Amari Cooper and just Donovan Peoples-Jones as as your your, your receivers because after Cooper, there's a lot of question marks in that wide receiver room, and, and they have a, they have the, the the framework right. They got a nice foundation of a house. Now they just need those little pieces to to make it a home. Give, give me my man cave. Let me get my patio. Let me get my grill. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? The decorations, because they need to fill those in if they want to be competitive with some of these other teams. Now, did, 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 did Jakeem Grant, did he just go down recently? This oh, no. Like, this was like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, about okay, a week okay, so he just, okay, so a couple weeks ago he went down. Man, that was going to be – he was going to be nice for them. Yeah. You know, this year he could contribute offensively for them in that receiver room. Now, I know that their coordinator is Alex Van Pilt. He's a former quarterback coach in Green Bay. He had a great relationship. With Aaron Rodgers, and if you don't know, Garrett, I'm a big time Packers fan. So Van right. Bell, he had, a, he, had a, he had a relationship with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, and uh, we know Kevin Stefanski is heavily involved with the offense. So specifically, who calls the plays for the for the Browns? Is it Van Pelt or is it Stefanski? They'll tell you they collaborate. Kevin Stefanski is a really good guy too. Uh, he's really good at uh, saying a bunch of nothing. He make it sound good, right? So he's like, you know, it's a collaborative effort. We get together throughout the week, and me and AVP and the quarterbacks, we get together to put a game plan together. It's collaborative. I just happen to be the guy who's kind of calling out the play, but we've already put the list of plays in. So long story short, whatever he said, 
Nah, Kevin Stefanski's calling the plays. He may defer and ask what you think, but the guy that's pulling the trigger when it's third and three in the fourth quarter and he's looking on that play sheet, he's the guy that's coming up with what we're going to do, what can we cook up, and he, yeah. you, he, you live and die with, with whatever call he makes. Right. So I believe in order for this team to compete and possibly be a playoff team, Garrett, they're going to have to run the football with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I think Nick Chubb is one of the more dynamic running backs in the NFL. And when you have the, a player of the caliber of a Kareem Hunt, you know, who could easily start on other teams in the NFL is valuable. It's valuable having that one-two punch at a running back. You know, the Bucks previously had it with Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. The Packers got it with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. So how important is the Browns rushing attack to their success as an overall offense. I agree with this. So I'm, I'm going to do this, and I'm I like to tell people this. Okay. Yes, you need to run the football, right? But you have to understand something. To give yourself a chance to win at the highest level, it's going to come a point in time where somebody, your quarterback, going to have to make a throw. It's going to be a come point in time where he got to drop a throw in somewhere. He got to make scramble and move and, and buy some time in the pocket. He's going to have to make an audible, a blitz pickup, or do something to get you over the hump. Uh, at the highest level. If you go back and watch uh, the Bills and the, and the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the best games in the history of the game, in my opinion, you saw two quarterbacks in Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes giving each other blows, haymakers. Absolutely. It was like it was like Rocky, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Rocky and, and Ivan Drago, but haymaker, haymaker, you score, I come back and score. You score, oh, you left me in too much time, I'm going to score again. So these are the type of things that you have to do when you get to that level. With that being said, can you win some games in a regular season running the ball and being creative? Yes, you can. And it's not just running the ball. You have to be creative in the way you run the ball. Agreed. You go back and look at, at San Francisco. They do a great job of saying, you know what? We got Debo Samuel. We got Jimmy Garoppolo. He might not be able to get him the ball traditionally like other quarterbacks, like if he's a Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. We got to get him the ball, though. So Debo Samuel, he might take a step. Debo Samuel might get the ball on, on a reverse. Debo Samuel might just motion and get in the backfield and take a yep. carry. Any yep. way you can do to get him his hands on the ball. They run zone. They run out of the gun. They run all type of different things, variations, in order to make you respect certain things like the little passes to move the chains. So you can do it. I think Kevin Stefanski is going to have to do that a lot. I think he has to incorporate Kareem Hunt more into this offense for yeah. it to be more dynamic. And I think he needs to play them at both times because they're interchangeable. And I want those guys to be, have, be a constant threat on the defense at all times. So you got to respect the run. You got to respect the pass. Both can block. Both can do a lot of different things. So I, I think he has to just be creative with what he's going to do with the run game. That'll help out too. I think tight end David Njoko is an X factor in this Browns offense. Garrett, I think in previous years when they had Odell, they had Jarvis Landry, and they still had Dick Chubb and Kareem Hunt at running back, so many different pieces to get the football to. I think Njoku is an X factor that has gotten overlooked in this Browns offense. And I think you can make an argument that he's a top 10, maybe even a top five tight end in the NFL at his best. I mean, last year, he played in 16 games. He only had 36 receptions, 475 receiving yards, four touchdowns. How much of an impact do you believe Njoku will have, and how important is he to this Browns offense? 
There's a lot of people who didn't like David Njoku's contract extension. They point to his production. You just mentioned what his numbers were. And right now, what his contract is, he's getting paid like a top five tight end. His production has not been the top five tight end or top 10 tight end. However, the Cleveland Browns made a gamble, right? It's an investment. They're banking on the fact that his future returns will be better than what his traditional output has been historically over his career. They're looking at what the offense could be given the fact that they do have a running game. They do have a solid receiver, a solid to good top 15 tier receiver in Amari Cooper. And that you got David Njoku, who's going to be upgraded by the fact that you have Deshaun Watson throwing him the football and not Baker Mayfield. So with all those things going into it, they feel like he's going to be a target. And I think they see him as their number two to target you can argue with that it raises a couple eyebrows for individuals yeah. however people saying after amari cooper you counting on david and joku to be this ain't travis kelsey this ain't george kittle this is not some of the guys who who are in this league who have been putting up big time numbers but i think the browns are saying he hasn't done it before but we know what his skill set is he can stretch vertically one yeah. of the most athletic tight ends in the league yeah. He can go up and high point the ball. He's getting better as a blocker. And we believe that in the future, we're going to be able to utilize him with the offense and the quarterback we have now. I like Njoku a lot. Again, I think he got tremendous upside. and He could be an X factor in that offense. But let's switch gears. Let's talk about the defense. They are obviously led by defensive coordinator Joe Woods. Still got Miles Garrett, one of the best defensive players in the NFL. They re-signed linebacker Anthony Walker. Brought in defensive tackle from Jacksonville, Tavon Bryant. Added a third safety in Ronnie Harrison Jr. to help that secondary. So, do you believe this Browns defense can be a top five defense in the NFL with all of these stars on their team? Sure. They were top five defense last year. They were just coming together last year. Uh, they really didn't even have a good year in the first eight games, per se. They came along slowly, and by the end of the year, they was the best part of what the Browns team was. You look at the fact that you have two pass rushers, two of the most athletic pass rushers in the game, gifted pass rushers, and Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett. You look at the secondary, which to me might be the strongest position on the team. Agreed. Uh, watch the preseason game against the Jaguars. MJ Emerson made a, a heck of a play, taking a pick six to the house. AJ Green is an undrafted free agent, really long, athletic, pro football focus grade, has him in the 80s, which is tremendous from an undrafted free agent. Greg Newsom looks like he's going to be a guy that's going to be a, a top flight corner in this league if you want to know about greg newsom just go back and watch how he played against one of the best receivers in jamar chase last year covering him throughout the field and getting his hands and deflecting passes and defending passes at a high level and plus you got grant delpit who i believe um is going to be an impact safety for the browns the browns haven't had a safety yeah. um that has been impact like in the ways of, of the pittsburgh steelers uh who have troy palomalo or, or the uh baltimore ravens had ed reed yeah. And you saw the way those guys patrolled the, the secondaries all those years when the Browns were, came back after 1999. And it was just miserable. A safety can really change the way that you, you play the game. I think Delpit can cover the run. He's explosive in the run game. His run fits. And he's athletic enough to really do what he needs to do in the passing game as well. And then, to me, a guy, JOK, is, is the new wave of linebackers. Just watch how he just runs sideline yeah. and sideline to the ball, stopping the ball. And it's so difficult for guards trying to climb on him to the next level to block him because he's just out here playing basketball on him. He's like, no, I'm too athletic. You can't touch me. And he's always in the backfield. So the Browns defense is going to have to carry them, especially if Deshaun Watson is out. But the way that's a it's a formula to get into the playoffs. 
That is uh, limit your turnovers, uh, play solid defense, get turnovers, get after the quarterback, run the football, timely play action passing and scoring in the red zone and solid special teams that that travels. That's tried and true. Uh, yeah. And it works every single time. So th those are things that the Browns need to do in 2022. They still got Denzel Ward, too. Still got Denzel Ward. We man. forgot about him, right? Yeah, forgot about Denzel Ward, man. He's one of the best defensive backs in the NFL, you know. And so that's what I want to ask. You kind of mentioned it. What do you believe is the strength of the defense? Would you say it's the secondary with Denzel Ward and Dale Pitt and John Johnson? Or would you say it's up front? with Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett. The strength of the team is the running backs. Offense leads to running back. Defensively, it's the defensive backfield uh, by far. We forgot about Greedy Williams, who played very well last year from coming back from the Stinger neck issue uh, yep. situation. You talk about the, the fact that you can move the luxury of having Greg Newsom to be inside, and you got a rotation of uh, John Johnson, Ronnie Harrison, and Grant Delpit that are able to do that as well. So I, I look at the back seven in terms of the safeties and the cornerbacks. They are deep, they're athletic, yeah. and I think you'll you'll have an opportunity to see what Joe Woods can do this year now that every single person that they had last year is now back in that secondary. It's going to make it easier for him to call and dial up some stuff, confuse quarterbacks, and to stop explosive teams. Now, they got stars all over the field defensively, but if you had to say – the weakness of their defense, would it be the linebackers? I would say defense tackle. Defensive tackle to me is the weak position. You talk about Taven Bryan. He never really was anything above a replacement player in Jacksonville. Um, they just got rid of Sheldon Day. Um, they cut him. He hadn't been practicing or playing due to injury. They're expecting something from Jordan Elliott, and he showed some, some signs against Jacksonville. Jordan Elliott is a guy who they're really high on third-round pick out of Missouri. And then you look at some of the guys that got Perry on Winfrey is a guy that we're excited about because just the simple fact of his physical skills and his motor and his mentality, we just got to get him up to speed and, and get him acclimated and make sure he's he's in his fits doing what he needs to do. And then down from there, there's a rotation of guys like Tommy Togiai, who, who played pretty well yesterday, and a few other guys that they, they are rotating in there to see what their too deep is going to be. You had to ask on the weakness, definitely say on offenses to receivers, on defenses, defensive tackles. He's a host on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, also a host on Lockdown, Locked On Browns podcast, talking everything Cleveland Browns. Got a couple more questions for you, Garrett. Mm -hmm. Who's the X factor on that defense? Like, if this specific player plays well, then the Browns will have a successful season. Who would that be? Grant Delpit. Okay. Uh, we talked about him a little bit. The reason why he is she so special is because if you go back and watch his junior tape at LSU, Grant Delpit would have been a, a top 10 pick. Grant, Grant Delpit was a guy who, who who can, he's a missile, he's physical, he can cover, uh, he has, you know, great ball skills. And, and when you look at it, him tearing his Achilles heel kind of set him back a little bit, almost giving him a redshirt year, uh, his rookie year. Last year, you started to see some of the strides coming along, had a really good game against Minnesota. As you continue to watch Grant Delpit, uh, you start to see that he was getting more comfortable. He was getting some more of that explosiveness back after that injury. And yeah. now this year, after training, I've torn my ACL in both knees. So I I've had 13 surgeries. So one of the things when you talk about in surgery is, you know, when you have an injury like that of that sort and it's taking eight months to 11 months to heal, you're just trying to get back to a baseline and have an athletic ability where you could compete and play. Yeah, that's that's not saying you you doing something to get better. Everybody else is is adding to that. Everybody else is getting adding speed, adding strength, adding uh, agility. 
you just trying to get to a baseline where you can go out there and play again. And so the second year is where you see all your growth, all of those traits start to come back because now you're able to train, you're able to work on, on some of those things. So for Grant Delpit, if the Cleveland Browns can have a dominant safety, I like to say that dominant teams, Super Bowl teams, have a, a dominant player at each level. You go back and watch the Baltimore Ravens, and you look what they had up front. They had uh, Terrell Suggs up front, right, uh, and Holodi Nada for a long time. Yeah. In that second part, you had Ray Lewis at linebacker. Yep. You go to the secondary, you have Ed Reed. Ed Reed. So when you when you got three levels of dominant players, what that means is there's no weakness. You're going to have to beat me at the line of scrimmage physically. You're going to have to out-execute me. When it comes yeah. to getting past my middle and in the passing game, it's going to be an uphill climb because we got playmakers back there, too. It is very difficult to do because most likely cap assets and, and, and stuff to go after free agents. So you got to develop that. And, and that's very difficult to develop those three areas, instinctual areas, too. I mean, think about defensive end, linebacker and, and corner. That's all instincts. Yeah. Uh, getting to the ball, reading, reacting and making plays. So it's kind of difficult to do. But you see what you could do as a team, if you do have all those three of those levels covered. Now, I believe in Kevin Stefanski, Garrett, as a head coach. In two years, he's 19 and 14. His career record is he's won 58% of his games. That is with Baker Mayfield, which is very impressive. So how do you feel about Stefanski as a head coach overall? And do you believe he is the right coach to lead this team on a deep playoff run? First and foremost, I like Kevin Stefanski. I like what he did. I like his cool demeanor. I like the fact that he doesn't seem to ever get flustered or too high or too low. And I like the fact, especially when you go back to 2020, he showed me that what he can do is he can adapt, right? Yeah. Um, it was very imp impressive for the Cleveland Browns to win a playoff game in Pittsburgh where their coach was at home in his basement with COVID, yeah. with, with nobody in the stands, right? And dominated the game. And, and pretty much dominated from the snap to basically until the fourth quarter. They, the game was out, out of reach. So he showed me a lot, but 2021 leaves some stuff to be desired. I think people will, will point to the fact that they didn't really like the playbook. We'll go and see whether or not it was the fact that Baker Mayfield couldn't execute the plays he was calling, or was it the simple fact that he wasn't calling them and being innovative enough? So that, that's what we're going to see. Also, people don't like the fact that you had a guy in Odell Beckham Jr. who you had on this team, who you had probably one of the better receiving cores with him and Jarvis Landry, never was able to get Odell involved. Even under Freddie Kitchens, Odell Beckham had over 1,000 yards. And Kevin Stefanski could never figure it out. And we once again, was it the fact that he didn't scheme him open enough to do that? Or was it a quarterback issue? Correct. So one thing that happens is, we find out real quick because it's a process of elimination in the NFL. At first, you said it was Odell Beckham Jr. He was, uh, well, he's not vibing with Baker, yeah. so they get rid of him. And then he goes out, and you see what he did in L.A. And so now that's an indictment. Now we come back and say, well, okay, coach, you yeah. said he wasn't no good. Yeah. And he, he went out there and did that. So now it's like, okay, you go through the rest of the season. Now you're like, okay, well, Baker, here you go. Here's the football. Baker Mayfield looked terrible down the stretch interceptions, bad reads. I get that he was hurt, but guess what? At the end of the day, we look at Baker and say, all right, well, that wasn't good enough. Yeah. So now they get Baker up out of here. Now, process of elimination. You're the only guy left. Now, yeah. we, now we're going to see was it Odell, was it Baker, right. or now what are you going to do with this this team and this roster moving right. forward? Yeah. So we're we waiting to see. He's a host on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, also a host of the Locked On Browns podcast, 
Joining me tonight is Garrett Bush on Wise Guys Sports on the Worldwide Sports Network. Two more questions for you, Garrett. The Browns missed the playoffs last year, finishing the season 8-9. We know in order to win the AFC North, you got to play a physical brand of football. You got the Bengals with Joe Burrow coming back, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, you know, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon in the backfield. You got the Baltimore Ravens. They're going to be bringing back a lot of players who missed last year with injuries. Got Lamar Jackson trying to get a new contract. And then the AFC as an entire whole is tough, man. I mean, the AFC West, all four of those teams, you can make a legitimate argument for them to be Super Bowl contenders. Who do you believe is the biggest competition, though, in the AFC North specifically? The Cincinnati Bengals would probably be it. I think yeah. Baltimore, I, I like their roster. I'm not sure what they're going to do at receiver. I know what their running game looks like. I know traditionally their defense is, is solid. Uh, you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers and – you know, they're still looking for a quarterback. They got pieces, Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool and Najee Harris and, and guys like that. So TJ Watt, of course. So so they got pieces apart, but we don't know who's going to be their quarterback. You know, Trubisky, Mason Rudolph, figured out of a pick. We don't yeah. know which one of those guys are going to take the mantle and be the quarterback. So then it leaves the Cincinnati Bengals. And if you just look at the Bengals, which is the reason why I think the Cleveland Browns moved on from Baker Mayfield. If you watch the Bengals, the Cincinnati Bengals in two years, they went from drafting in the top three to going to the Super Bowl. And for so long, we've told ourselves in Cleveland that you need to have continuity. You got to have a top five player at every position. You got to have receivers and running backs. You got to have the coach and general manager be on the same page for 10 years. Yeah. You got to have $100 million in cap space. And it got to be sunny every single Sunday when you plan. You'll be like, all that to win? They said, no, we're not drafting Panay Sewell, and we're not drafting an offensive lineman to keep Joe Burrow upright. We're going to draft Jamar Chase, and we're going to torch up. And they got Jamar Chase, and basically that was it. And their coach went from about to be fired to now we good to go. They got one of the best receiving court, uh, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, yeah. uh, Jamar Chase. They got a, a top five back in, in Joe Mixon. They got a solid tight end, and they got better. Lyle Collins is there and off on the offensive line. And they got guys, the defensive Sam Hubbard and the other defensive end that got picked up from New Orleans. They rushed the passer well. Trey so Henderson, Trey about. Henderson and, and yeah. then Jesse Bates in the back seven. So they got a team. Yeah. And they got Joe Burrow, which is the, the main straw, right? The it, yeah. it factor. So to me, it's the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going to see if they can still take a um, step forward. Sometimes when teams arrive a little bit early, kind of like in the NBA with the Atlanta Hawks, uh, they kind of arrived and showed up on the Eastern Conference Finals a year ago. Yeah. And then they almost didn't make the playoffs this year. They made it in the play game against the Cavs. But usually teams like that can sometimes take a step back. But I'm going to tell you what, it's not going to be easy nowhere. AFC, this is one of the most packed AFC t teams in terms of quarterbacks and talent that I've seen, and, yeah. and I'm 41, and I've been watching the game 30-some, 30, 30 years, 35, 36 years. So Man. they got some stuff going on. I don't know if I told you, but I'm actually here local in Cincinnati, though, Garrett. So, you know, I'm down here with these big okay. fans. Yeah, yeah, I'm down here in Cincinnati. I'm a Packers fan, but I'm here in Cincinnati, and so these Bengals fans are going crazy. And to your point, Zach Taylor was on the hot seat. Before last year, Zach Taylor was on the hot seat. And everyone was talking about how Mike Brown is one of the worst owners in the NFL. And to your point, all it took was for them to draft Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow came in, you know, he got injured his rookie season. But then last year in his sophomore season, I think he had like 34 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. He was an MVP candidate. And so he's the stabilizer for this Bengals organization. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. They got nice receivers in Tyler Boyd, in T. Higgins, in Jamar Chase, and they got a dynamic running back in Joe Mixon, and they got some nice pieces defensively. But make no mistake about it. The Bengals would not have been in the Super Bowl if it wasn't for Joe Burrow being on their team. So he's changed the entire culture here in Cincinnati. So I completely agree with you 1,000%. And I think that's part of the reason why the Browns traded for Deshaun Watson, Garrett. Despite all of these allegations off the field, they traded for Deshaun Watson because in order to win a Super Bowl and compete, you need an elite quarterback. And we see all these young quarterbacks Around the NFL, Garrett, you got Josh Allen. You know, you got Patrick Mahomes. You got Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow. There's so many great young quarterbacks. And I, mean, I ain't even got to the average guys that's good. Right. Like Dak Prescott and, and Derek Carr, they both are good average quarterbacks as well that I believe you can win a Super Bowl with. So I think the Browns, they didn't believe they could win a Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield. This no. is my second and last question. To that, you say what? That's a fact. When you talk about why they made the trade for Deshaun Watson, it's because they looked at the landscape, looked around, and said, we've been beaten by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. All these years, Big Ben is like 26 and 3 or something against them. We got beat to sleep by guys like Andy Dalton yeah. and Joe Flacco. And then... Joe Flacco retires, they go get Lamar Jackson, and he starts beating you, right? Then you already have the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. You just got out of the Big Ben regime. And so now the, the Browns are looking around and be like, I'll be damned if I could wait another 20 years. I'm not yeah. going to wait for somebody to retire for me to be good. And then right. they get Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, and all of a sudden it's two years, alpha ACL, and it's a Super Bowl? No, it's almost like back in the day when you had the Americans came out with, with the Manhattan Project and, and a nuclear bomb. When they dropped two nuclear bombs, right, everybody else woke up and was like, hold on, hold on. Yeah. We need to get one of them. If it ain't nothing but just to deter them from dropping that on us, we got to go get one of them. And that's the same way it is with a quarterback. When you look at Russell Wilson going to Denver, what they got in Las Vegas and Derek Carr, they yeah. went and got Devontae Adams, Justin Herbert, then you can just keep going on down. Josh Allen. The Rams last year won a Super Bowl. It makes you rethink your whole philosophy and all of that five to seven year plan garbage. It, it went out the window. So they was like, well, we need us one of those. And they went and got one, Deshaun Watson. Literally went and got Deshaun Watson. So last question for you, Garrett. Give me your prediction for the Browns this year. What would their record be? And will they be a playoff team in the AFC? It's going to be tough. It all depends on with Deshaun Watson, how many games he's out. If the Browns can get Deshaun Watson back and they can go five and three, four and two. Just, just be odd, five and three. Just say Deshaun Watson comes back and can win seven games, eight games. That puts you at 12 wins, right? Yeah. If he can win six games, that puts you at 11, right? I would say the Browns will probably win. If they get Deshaun Watson back and he plays, they can get 11 wins. And I think they got a shot to make the playoffs. If they don't get Deshaun Watson back and it's just Jacoby Brissett, they still have a shot to make the playoffs. It's right. just about like a 15% chance at that point. You need a lot of things to go right for you. You need Jacoby Brissett to play the best career game of his life, best season. He can't turn the ball over. Miles Garrett has to be a defensive player of the year candidate. And Kevin Stefanski is going to have to do his best coaching job of his life. So if you can do those things, I think their ceiling without Deshaun Watson is probably 10 games, nine games, somewhere yeah. in that. And due to the AFC, there's going to be teams that beat up on each other all over the place. So 
you may get in with 10 wins. You may, depending on how things fall. That's why it's very important that the Browns get off to a good start. And the better start they get off with helps out a lot. But it's going to be an uphill battle. They can make the playoffs, but I only got it at 10, 15% chance if Deshaun Watson's not playing. Let everyone know where they can find you at on social media and find your show, Garrett. All right, so uh, you can listen to me uh, every Saturday, 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. on a barbershop. That's in Cleveland, Ohio. You can download the Odyssey app, rewind the show if you miss it. You're out and about every single Saturday, 8 to 12. Coming up season is going to be starting, so I will be doing the Browns pregame show. Check me out. Come on. If you're local in the area, come on out out in front of uh, West 6. We'll be doing a uh, pregame show for 92.3 The Fan from 9 to kick off every single Sunday on home games. If you really want to get to me on YouTube, you can subscribe to the Barbershop channel. I drop videos on there. I just had the Deshaun Watson series on there. It's done really well. So check that out. At the, it's just called the Barbershop. You can just search G. Bush and find that. Then you could get to the other two gigs. Ultimate Cleaver Sports Show. That's every single day on YouTube, Monday through Friday. Jay Crawford, formerly of Cold Pizza on, on ESPN. We got Adam the Bull on there. Uh, uh, Brad Sellers, former NBA player, played for the, with the Chicago Bulls, Tyvis Powell. Okay. Lots and lots of guests, all those people. That's every single day from uh, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then finally, Locked on Browns podcast. You can check that out with me and my co-host, Jeff Lloyd, where every single day we drop a podcast. You can get that wherever you download your podcast. And you can download and subscribe to the YouTube channel, Locked on Browns on YouTube. And that's where we can find me. He's a host on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, also a host of the Locked on Browns podcast, talking everything Cleveland Browns. He is Garrett Bush. Hey, Garrett, man, I'm going to definitely bring you on again later on in the season. Talk Cleveland Browns. And uh, I appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Anytime, man. Let me know. You know where to find me at, man. Appreciate it, brother. I appreciate it. That is Garrett Bush of the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. Appreciate him joining Wise Guys Sports tonight on the Worldwide Sports Network. Great show tonight. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I was supposed to preview the NFC South division, but I had a long interview with my man Garrett Bush, but we got a lot of information about the Cleveland Browns this year and the Deshaun Watson scandal in Cleveland. So I'll preview the NFC South on Thursday show. Remember, Tuesday, Thursday, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Network. It's the Wise Guys podcast. You can find the Wise Guys sports podcast on multiple podcast platforms like Spreaker, like the Apple Podcast app on your phone, on Spotify as well. I'm Trey Larkins from Wise Guys Sports on the Worldwide Sports Network signing off. Have a good night. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.